the football pod on OTB Sports. Have you ever seen a team like Limerick that are so physically dominant? They're yeah, absolutely oh. financially <laughs> dominant. <laughs> the football pod is available every Tuesday exclusively on the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. And Ronan Mullins just walked in. Ronan, good morning to you. How are you? All good, lads. How are things? Uh, a quick, um, a, a quick drive-by on where we are with boxing at the moment. Uh, should we talk? Should we start by talking about next weekend as opposed to last weekend? You pick. Oh, it's, it's your call. I think the, the pomp and circumstance around the Wembley fight sort of weren't exactly overridden by the fight itself. I think most people, purists and uh, casual fans, would agree it wasn't exactly a blockbuster encounter, and it possibly just highlighted the golf in quality between Fury and the rest because Dillian White's a very competent heavyweight and has shown that against the cream of the division but Fury just looked levels and levels above him and you know it was an emphatic finish to end it really uh, What happens next for Fury? Because his wife was saying that he would come back for the unification fight that was kind of letting the cat out of the bag pretty quickly yeah, that was it. It was retirement, which he's kind of um, he proffered that suggestion a couple of times before fights. But to be fair, this is the final fight on his top rank deal. So there is leverage and negotiations to happen here. And that is like a percentage of leverage, I suppose, that, you know, I'm threatening to walk away here, threatening in inverted commas, obviously, because as he said, Paris Fury saying he'll come back for unification. It looks like Usyk's going to fight Joshua in that rematch in July. So, you know, we should have clarity on that by the end of the summer and you could be looking at another blockbuster fight there towards the end of the year. And just like on the, the technicalities of a potential matchup with either of those, the Joshua one, I think you'd see, probably see a similar pattern of a fight if, if, he fought, or if he fought Fury because I just think Fury's operating on such a level that he'll, he'll win most fights. But Usyk could be an interesting one because as, as good as Fury was the other day, the stature of White, where he's that little bit shorter, there were openings for, for White if he was able to slip Fury's jab and get in and attack the body. And you'd actually fancy Usyk to be able to do that. He's such a skilled technician that that could be a very interesting matchup. So come what may, I think we'd have another few interesting heavyweight fights this year. He's very lightly fought for somebody who has been a professional for 14 years it, it's um, 33 bouts as a professional so it like the whole miles on the clock thing isn't really something that applies to Tyson Fury is it? No and like the the old adage around heavyweight boxing is that you tend to age like a fine wine in that regard and the Klitschko's Vladimir in particular probably fought the best the best run of of bouts of his career around his mid-30s. So I think Fury, he is that little bit more fleet of foot and possibly does rely on athleticism, which belies that size. And that should win, you would think, as the, as the years go by. But like, what's so, what's so remarkable is that when he beat Klitschko in Germany, was it six years ago now, that was a total, you know, fighting on the back foot, you know, pot-shotting. Whereas the other day, he just walked Dillian White down and, and demolished him. And Sugar Hill and Andy Lee have to get a lot of credit for that huge sea change in style, which you just never see in boxing, really, where someone goes from being essentially a counterpuncher to a knockout artist. And like I know Dillian White was making much play of the fact that there was a shove after the, the uppercut which landed, but that was about as perfectly picked a punch as you're going to see. And there aren't many people who would knock Dillian White out with one shot. I know Povetkin had that high re- highlight reel knockout. Joshua similarly, but again, you're talking about former world champions here, the very best. So. I think um, I think Fury 
is looking like a, a difficult proposition for anybody right now. And just looking back at uh, Tyson Fury's box rack here, and he fought in Dublin in uh, 2000, September 2009 on one of Bernard Dunn's... Uh, um, the Super Saturday, wasn't it? His Super Band- No, this is no? September. So oh. um, uh, The game was live. Uh, did you, he wins on points. Um Fury at that stage. That's 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 how long he's boxing, right? That fight and was live on the radio, wasn't it? This one, I don't think that the this was um, Prakor Udomna. I do recall uh, Phil Egan will recount this tale of maybe that's Prince Wilde. Willie Willie Big Bang Casey when he fought Regan Doe. I think Fury was in attendance. He and, was and he had been at the Ireland England game at the Aviva Stadium, and was basically saying, "Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back here and headline with a world title fight at the Aviva Stadium." And I think most people were looking at him. On, on two fronts thinking well you're probably not going to win a world title because he was still a figure of fun at that stage well he punched himself that was what he's yeah, most famous for and equally um, his Irish heritage to what extent he was going to lean on that I don't know but like he has um, he has spoken about it at length you know like the fighting for Irish titles and you know wanting to represent Ireland as an amateur but then you see him on St George's Day decked in the uh, in the English flag I think he's kind of nailed his colours quite literally to the master he was. He wasn't even like the main undercard that night. He was like the third fight on the card, and there was eight fights. That's the night Punsawat actually knocked Bernard out uh, pretty early on and kind of uh, set that whole thing back. But sorry, um, so you want Usyk to win against Joshua to see what he'll do against? I think Fury? it's it's possibly a more interesting fight. Usyk's like peerless in terms of skill as a cruiserweight, like the. What Fury's got in that department is comparable, possibly not quite as good, like Usyk's obviously an Olympic gold medalist, but he's got the size as well and the power that I'm alluding to. So you just think those equalisers would, would make him a favourite. But I just think from a technical standpoint, it's more interesting. From a like promotional standpoint, the Joshua Fury fight is a behemoth. And if you couple that with the redemption arc of Joshua beating Usyk, who, you know, obviously totally outclassed him at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium last year. Joshua's had one of those already against Ruiz. Like the Ruiz one was more of a, a like a blast from the like left field almost, whereas the Usyk one I think people possibly saw coming. So I don't think it's quite as easy one for him to rectify. I think Usyk will be the favourite going in against Joshua again. Um, so you expect Joshua to have, uh, sorry, you expect Tyson Fury to have like a long period now in his mid-30s where he continues to fight that actually this retirement thing is like a contractual issue more than anything else. I think there is a, definitely a bit of leverage at play there. It's just whether he's got the, the cast of characters waiting, you know, lining up to fight him. I wouldn't say the, the next crop of heavyweights is overly strong so I don't think Sorry, could he fight both Joshua and Usyk? I think so I think if, if he signs another five fight deal with top rank like those are two definitely on the ledger it would be crazy not to fight Joshua just for the revenue that that would entail I think that fight will eventually happen just like as his boxing want it will have lost a lot of the luster if Joshua has say three losses on his resume by the time that comes around Yeah yeah, at the same time, boxing's great at uh, hyping that stuff up, and <laughs> like, who knows? Maybe, maybe. One. And like, this is uh, not to say this is heavyweight boxing, Jerry, but this is heavyweight boxing, and Josh has got huge power. Like, yeah. so he could be losing every round. We'll be watching. We will definitely be watching to the end to yeah. see if he can land one of those. Um, okay, so that's that. The uh, subplot around all that was obviously the uh, Fury relationship with Kinahan. Boxing seems to have moved on very quickly from the whole thing. It was like big story in the build-up. Um, MTK is now no longer in existence and boxing is like great we can forget all about that and move on yeah and like I was listening to a podcast last week Chris Mannix who I think has been on the show before and Mike Coppinger is kind of a well known figure on 
boxing circles and certainly on social media, they were chatting off the back of it uh, ahead of the the uh, White Fury fight and talking about Al Heyman, I'm sure you're familiar with Al Heyman, who's kind of seen as the the puppet master behind all that goes on in American boxing and they were saying Al Heyman, Daniel Kinnan, the two most powerful men in boxing, in fact Daniel Kinnan's probably number one and I had never heard anyone in America talking in these terms about Daniel Kinnan before all this came out. It's very easy to be wise after the fact but people weren't making these proclamations when he was as they're saying, running the game. And you know, the point has been made that very few boxing cards go on without, or had gone on without an MTK affiliation. And that was more far reaching because his advisory roles and the, his underlings, what their advisory roles were with boxers, like so far reaching. And you've got the pro bellum side of things. I can't, like I was taken aback by how quickly the whole thing escalated in, in, in how MTK unraveled quite literally. And, What's going to happen next, I think, will also happen quite quickly from a boxing standpoint. The pressures from outside the sporting world are quite clearly closing in. So uh, as, as, as long as his spell atop boxing lasted, which is nigh on a decade, I think it will it's come to a halt quite quickly. Do, do his underlings have such power where that would that dissuade you from being confident about, I don't know, a, a top Irish bout happening here? like Katie Taylor, for example, having a homecoming fight in, in the next couple of years? Yeah, because if we're moving on to Katie Taylor, like if she can beat Amanda Serrano at the weekend, there's literally, there's almost nothing left on the, the bucket list, barring, and it would seem like such a, it would be almost a tragedy if she didn't fight here, given the what she represents and how emblematic she is of all that's good about Irish sports, you know, and it, it, it kind of transcends all that. And for it to be thwarted by security concerns or what like all that goes around that I think that seems to be the only grievance that could hold the whole thing back because not that there's ever been a huge culture of professional boxing in Ireland like the Bernard Dunn days were almost they were almost highlights by their rarity Do you know like Steve Collins in the 90s and there were little bits here and there but it wasn't as if we ever built a culture of having massive blockbuster events year on year, whereas Katie Taylor is the kind of fighter that would have justified it and similarly there's probably fighters that have come and gone that didn't get the massive nights in Ireland that they should have got, so should Katie win on Saturday, possibly irrespective of that, she, she's more than entitled to have a, a big homecoming here. Okay, so what is on the line for Katie then? Well, I think 2008 is the last time the number one and number two pen for pen fighters have boxed each other, uh, so that was, I believe, Pacquiao and Marquez. In, in obviously on the men's side of things, but this is the quality and calibre of a fight we're talking about. It's obviously headlining the main arena, Madison Square Garden, the first time that's ever happened for an all-women bout. And, you know, as Eddie Hearn is want to say, like, it's, this isn't just women's boxing, this is a marquee event for boxing at large, and you very rarely get to see the two best in the world go head-to-head, -head, you know, close to the peak of their powers. This fight obviously was supposed to happen two years ago, just before the, the pandemic kicked in, and that was going to be, I would, I would say, somewhat off-Broadway. It was going to be an undercard bout on a Dillian White fight, ironically, in Manchester. And Amanda Serrano, while Katie Taylor was certainly keeping up her end of the bargain, was already a blockbuster star. Amanda Serrano possibly wasn't that household name. In the two years which have passed, she's blown up in terms of profile. She's got that link up with Jake Paul. And I think this, they're both making seven figures this weekend. And it's kind of, it, it typifies 
the, the size of this fight. And I think it's definitely a crossover one. It's not just one that's been spoken about in boxing circles. I think American culture has tapped into it a little bit. And you're looking at a sellout on Saturday night, which is going to be a remarkable occasion. One last thing. Um, this it, it, One of the things that Katie Taylor has been is very uh, enjoyable to watch. Um, if this is the most boring fight of all time and she wins on points, that's better for her from a career perspective after from this point she doesn't need to be the brawler this weekend I, I suppose is the point I'm trying to make here no certainly not and like Serrano is an interesting mesh of styles where she's got power that's possibly not all that common in in the ledger of Katie Taylor opponents but she's not a brawler either she's like quite technical in how she detonates her punches so she will carry that threat that possibly Katie hasn't seen in all of her bouts to this end like the Pursuing fight, of, as a comparison, Pursuing was all about that engine and, and non-stop aggression. I think Serrano has a bit of that, but she also has the technical skills to, to trouble Katie. So it will be a, a boxing clinic from Katie to try and you know navigate her way to victory here. And as you said, it's all about the W. This is finals are for winning, and this is like the, the grand final of, of her career. I think for the first time since 2012, really, against Achigava, you're going into a Katie Taylor fight not like certain or at least confident of an outcome and you know I think all those factors play into a really appetising event Alright Ronan enjoy it thanks very much when are you flying out? Tomorrow all uh, going well Very good and is there one final press conference at the way and all that kind of stuff? Yeah the press conference is Thursday the way in will be Friday I think my best laid plans of going to Nets Celtics on uh, Friday are all but gone after the the Nets were swept by Boston Celtics, so I'll have to make new plans for Friday night. Well, uh, in New York, I'm sure you'll find something to uh, keep you occupied. Ronan, good stuff. Enjoy the trip. Thanks very much for that. OTB AM. With Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.